You wouldn't know it by looking outside, but we're actually heading toward the summer. Um, you know, it's a little June gloom. Uh, it's not like ideal heading into summer weather, but you know that we've had a lot of hints of that. Now for us, we know that hints of summer start, well, there is a never a day that it doesn't stop, actually, for our experience for where we live. But it's, but it, you know, it, in the last couple weeks, I was really noticing it and um, fantasizing about what I could do with my kids in the summer as it relates to the ocean and a little bitty thing called a surfboard and just having these visions of, of paddling out together, uh, son and daughter and dad. And so while we're walking, in, don't worry, I have permission to share the story. I, so as we are walking through the grocery store, and I'm pondering those things, and I mention because of the weather that's shifting and the summer that's coming, I say, man, I really just look forward to just like, I want to paddle out with you guys and just surf with you guys. You guys would like, you could do this so, you're, you would rock at surfing, you guys play polo and swim, you love the water, you're water people. And then I hear, daddy, we don't like surfing. And then something profound happened inside of my soul deep within in, in it. You know, well, first of all, I think a unicorn fell over dead. An angel hit the floor. A tear came from my eye. My countenance changed. And my, my kids noticed it. I wasn't like, it, wasn't t it, it was catastrophic. And I, I, was, I was like, they're like, Daddy, Daddy, look, we know. Daddy's broken now. Daddy's broken. But we just don't like surfing. It's like too hard. I'm like, I'm, I'm just so, I'm like, you, you, you. I want to, I want have you ever had something that you wanted to take place and it just doesn't happen the way you expect? You know, whether, whether it's just like, you know, something you, you want to do with your kids. And you know what, quite, quite frankly, I, I really don't care. I mean, it'd be a great, it's a great time. I, I love the water and we'll still bodyboard together, even though that is the JV, whatever. It's like, we'll bodyboard together and we'll have a great time. Don't worry, we will, we will. But have you ever had things happen in your life where you, they just turn, they did not turn out the way you wanted? And what happens is uh, because things don't necessarily turn out the way you want, you have some sort of, of, of expectation that's, that's not met, right? This is part of everyday life, by the way. Um, and those expectations that are not met can sometimes turn into to bigger things in our hearts and actually turn into an outright, like, offense, right? Um, sometimes they're worthy and many times they're not. And as Jesus is interacting with all the different groups of people that he's interacting with and, and sharing the good news of the gospel and raising the dead and healing people and all these things are taking place, there are many different groups of people that find themselves in a position with Jesus of offense. They are offended at Jesus. And, and this morning what I want to do is actually just talk about um, why that is. And then I want us to take a look and consider where we are offended by Jesus and why that is. There's some inner heart stuff that God will do with us as we think and ponder those things. Because my first impulse toward that thing, when, when my expectations are violated, are not, I'm not offended at Jesus. I love, there's, and, that, and that, that, that may be true, but there are times where he can speak to us and his word can hit us in such a way where we are offended at what Jesus has to say to us. 
offended at what he is doing in our hearts. And we see that over and over and over as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. So today, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to camp. Instead of going bigger, like this really big chunk that kind of it goes together, chapter 11, 12, and thir- right at the end of 14. But I'm, I'm going to just kind of drill in a little bit today in chapter 11 when Jesus talks about he talks about John the Baptist, and he starts addressing a lot of issues related to this, and this whole issue of offense. I want us to see why people, why we, at times, are offended by Jesus. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, we'll begin there. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. So... If you like titles, this one's titled, Why Are You Offended? That's it. In chapter 11 of the Gospel of Matthew, it starts out like this. When Jesus had finished in, uh, instructing his disciples, excuse me, his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Jesus is going into their cities and preaching and teaching, and I just find that so fascinating. I've mentioned it before. I, I, I love this, that he's going relationally among the people that he would know and, the, and his own disciples would know. Before this, remember in chapter 10, he actually sends his disciples to go and start doing all these, these, this ministry. And then afterward, he goes where they had been and where people have seen all kinds of works and deeds of Jesus and go proclaim and preach. Now, here's the issue. Now, when when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, this is an interesting question that John the Baptist is asking. And it makes sense. I I mentioned, like, the expectations of the religious people and, and, and all kinds of different categories of people, and even John, are being violated on some level, where John is actually, is asking a question. You might be surprised at first that John would be asking this question of Jesus. He, he hears about the deeds of Jesus, of the deeds of Christ, and then he sends his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another Well, first of all, let's just notice that he is in prison. You see, now, why is he in prison? Now, earlier in the book of Matthew, we find out that he goes to prison. But here is a very clear reason as to why he ends up there. You see, John the Baptist is a prophet. In chapter 14, what we find out is he has offended a ruler in a major way. In particular, as it relates to his marriage that John is saying is unlawful for him to be in. Now, because of that, well, like, he lands himself into some trouble. Listen to what um, is said in chapter 14. At that time, well, this is later, at that time, Herod, the, uh, the, the tetrarch, heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He heard about who's this like, this is, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. Wait, dead? Yes, J- John the Baptist is dead. Now, 
He is dead. Why is he dead? He has been raised from the dead. Because why? Because his miraculous powers are at work in him, in Jesus. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodus, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod, Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodus danced before the company and it pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give, uh, give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And so they did. John um, is experiencing this hardship. Now we will find out he's no, he's no, uh, no stranger to, to hardship based on the way he dresses and the fact that he's not some reed just blown away by the wind. However, he is envisioning a Jesus that would come in and just whoop butt on stuff. The kingdom being ushered in is Jesus taking it over. And that's not what ha happens. John ends up being imprisoned. And so he, he, is, his, he is wondering, like, what's going on here? And he asks these questions. And then Jesus replies to him and says, in verse 2, verse 4, excuse me, and Jesus answered him, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Notice the deeds. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But this is what Jesus says. Look at verse 6. And blessed is the one who was not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. If you are offended by Jesus, ultimately, there's certainly trouble in this life, but there is definitely trouble in the life to come. And if you are not offended by Jesus, there is bliss, and there is happiness, there is joy, there is a relationship with God. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So why are these people offended? What are they offended about? Okay, so I want to address just a few of those things. I want to see what God would just do with our hearts as we look at these different issues, these different things that, of, that are offensive to all these others and what may or may not offend us. So offense number one would be the deeds of Jesus. The deeds of Jesus are the first offense that people have with him. Now notice that Jesus' response to John, his, his proof of what's going on is say, hey, ch tell John this. Tell him about all these miraculous things. The blind are seen. They, the, the, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf um, they hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And then he follows it up with, blessed are those who were not offended by me. Now, what we will find out as we continue to go through, the, through this, and Matthew points this out over and over again, is the offense that people have with him. And that offense, in particular, with the deeds of Jesus. Now, that seems insane. Jesus is doing all these amazing things, but they actually have some hang-ups. Now, I want to address one of the hang-ups that they have, and I want to call something to our attention. Look, these are people that really mean well. They are very precise. They care about theology. They want to be accurate. They ask questions, they have, ask honest questions, but they've got some major heart issues going on. And I'm not saying that we should not be careful and precise. I think the scripture calls us to that. 
But we also need to check our hearts as we head down those roads at times. I know I do. Now, when Jesus, this comes up with his deeds, and they're so offended at them. Like, let me give you an example. In chapter 12, you don't have to turn, you don't have to look right there right now, but just listen. Him and the disciples are walking through a field, and they begin to pluck these little, like, morsels off this wheat. Yeah, look, I'm not a farmer, so like, I'm going to like flub that up because I've never, I've never walked through a field and done that. But I have gone, I've gone apple picking, I've gone like raspberry picking, and like the plucking those things, I realize it's not the same thing, but I'm not a farmer, right? Like I'm not a farmer, like my plucking stops with going to Vons and plucking it from the shelf. Do you know what I'm saying? Like so I have a hard time, but they're plucking these things, these little, these little kernels off, and, and they're eating them. And then the, the Pharisees, uh, uh, the Pharisees, they get really offended at this, and they say this in verse 2, but when the Pharisees saw it, they saw the disciples do it, they, and it was on the Sabbath, it was on the Sabbath, they said, hey, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. They're working on the Sabbath. Like, they want to be precise. And, hey, you know, and then, by the way, there's actually good reason for them wanting to be precise and be meticulous and not break the commandments of the Sabbath rest that God has commanded, by the way. Scripture commands it, right? We do need to rest, and they are concerned with that. However, they're just trying to find something. They're trying to find something. But they do have good reason, um, not in this case, but they, they want to obey God. The heart, I, I want, they want to obey God because they know if we don't obey God, man, God will judge us. We've seen it through the history of God's people. When we didn't repent, man, we, got, we were exiled. And they're really concerned about all those things. So on one hand, we have to be a bit gracious with them. Although, like, Jesus is going to slam them. They need to be corrected. And we do need to look out in our own hearts where this comes up. But the offense, the offen- I mean, there is, the offense is with this deed that's actually a, 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 a thing not to get upset about. And so it starts with that, but Jesus' re- response is just so fast. He responds with this amazing, vivid grasp of scripture, scripture and a grasp of things he knows that they have. Well, listen to what he says. He, he addresses two. He addresses one related to the priest, but first he addresses one issue in scripture related to David and what he did. And he says this, um, have you not read, in verse 3, that David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, now he entered the house of God, and ate the bread of the present, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Now, he starts with one of their heroes. David is their boy. Can I say that? Kind of weird. But David is their guy. He, they, man, they love David. They know who David is, the, um, and he's really important. He's a hero, and he's saying, well, hey, look, did you not read that David did this? They were hungry. Is it, is it wrong for someone who's in deep need of food to not have it in this particular case? Then he moves it to the priests. Now, I'm going to read it, and at first it's not going to make sense, and I'm going to tell you what it says in the law. So in the next verse, he says, Or have you not read the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? It's a really r- weird phrase, isn't it? Profane the law but are guiltless. Profane it, guiltless. It doesn't even go together. You know why? Because it's kind of, it's sarcasm. You know, they, they profane the law. Do you know what he's referring to? In the law, the priests were required by the law to make this bread on the day of the Sabbath. 
and it wasn't breaking rest. They were making bread. They were doing way more. I've not made bread, but I imagine it's a little bit more than plucking it from uh, like a little thing of wheat, walking through the field. And it was not breaking Sabbath and required to do so. So he addresses them. We see this heart issue. We find out what and why people are offended at Jesus. One is related to his very deeds. And they've got them all wackadoodle and crazy, and they shouldn't be offended at him with this, because he's going to take it a step further, and he's going to actually heal someone on the Sabbath. It, el- it escalates from this to work on the Sabbath to actually healing. And what we see, the expectations being violated really intensely, is we see the, the religious people's heart and what they say. And it says in verse 13, uh, then he said to the man, stretch, oh, excuse, he, 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 Jesus heals the guy. He heals he says, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched, out, stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees, this morning you see, they went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. They were so offense, offended. I mean, here he is, he's doing, he, and he, the argument is, like, it's, it's unlawful to do good on the Sabbath. Well, the answer is no, like, that, that makes no sense. So is it unlawful to actually feed if you're starving, you're hungry? No, it's not. That's not unlawful. It's not loving. In fact, you just don't understand the law. It's part of the issue. And you're trying to find something. You're trying to find anything to be offended at. Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended by me. This is his report to John. Those are some of the first things that we see. It was we see offense. And so I ask us, I ask myself, when do I find offense with what Jesus says to me? When do I read something from scripture or see him call me something where I don't like it and I'm offended and I conspire in my heart to find another way around it? Have you ever done that, brothers and sisters? Have I ever done that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we confess our sin earlier. We know that we struggle with sin. But here's the good news of the gospel. You know, man, man, sin is taken care of by Jesus, even that type of sin. Did you know that? And so you come here today heavy laden with burdens where we're trying to like work out our salvation rightly, but there's times where we're trying to, we're trying to like earn it with God or we have some expectations are violated and you, man, you're, you're struggling with some relational thing or work or school or mom or dad or whatever it is. You're, you're burdened by this, trying to figure it out. I want to do right by God. I don't quite know what to do. I'm struggling. I want you to know, and we will come to that part of the text. But Jesus' yoke is good for you, and it will give you rest, and he, he, he loves you. Look, consider where we are offended. So it goes on. So Jesus says these words. He says, blessed is he who is not offended by me. And he goes on to speak about John the Baptist. At first, he sends this, this good news to John, who is in prison, who is going to be beheaded. And as they went away, in verse 7, chapter 11, it says this, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Um, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. A reed. It's like a big blade of grass. And it's like the wind blows and it's just blown all over the place. John clearly is not the kind of guy or prophet that is just blown by every doctrine of the world. In fact, he called out this leader and he ends up in prison for it about their sin. May or may not have been wise in the particular context. I don't totally know. 
But there is a time for that. He definitely is not uh, someone who just like bends right over, just, 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 like, just flies right over, blown, blown away by every doctrine of man. Did you, uh, in verse 8, in verse 9, verse 8, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are the kings, are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, more than a prophet, this is of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. Now, there are some things said about him in, in this particular context that's, that are a little difficult to understand. Now, I want to I unpack it, okay? So we, he's talking about the kind of person he is, and he's going to elevate John really high. What does that mean? What does it look like? He says this about him, and then he says in ch- verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. It's very interesting. I'm like, okay. Like, why, why, what what does he mean by this, that that there hasn't been anyone? But then, all right, after that, it says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So among those born of women, there's no one greater. And then he says, the least in the kingdom is greater than John. And then you think, well, like, the, the kingdom, like the household, the people of God, well, isn't John in that kingdom as well? Is he like, there's some like other, like, no, that's not what he means. He's a part of that. Why are they, why are they greater? What, does, what do they mean when they say that? What are they talking about? I'm going to read the rest of it, and then we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain this, because it's, it's a little odd, but it, it's, it's very simple. It's so simple, it's hard to see. Truly, I say to you, Okay, among those born of women, there is risen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent taken by force, for all the prophets and the law uh, prophesied until John. Uh, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Another difficult phrase what does he mean by he is Elijah? Now, as far as greatest and greater and all that, this is what he's talking about. He is simply saying that John the Baptist was in the proximity and in a season. He's the last prophet. Not only is he proclaiming the day of the Lord, and he can point to the Lord. No other prophet got to do that and say, hey, look, Jesus Lamb of God, the one who came to pay for the world. This is him. This is the one I've been talking about. This is it. And so when, when Jesus is saying, hey, the person is least in the kingdom, he's talking about their evangelistic telling. Like, the, it's that simple. Like, they are able to talk about a Jesus that has been crucified, died, and raised the dead. All the prophets long to see that. They didn't see it. And those in the kingdom, they actually will hear it, will know about it post-resurrection and be able to say that. It makes it great. The message is it's about gospel proximity. John was able to point right to them. All these future Christians are able to just point right to Jesus and the cross and his resurrection. It's that simple. But then what about this whole issue of this Elijah? And this actually will further help us understand what he's talking about. In the last book of the Old Testament, you have Malachi. And the very last verse or so of that, of that very small book, 
you have this promise given by God. There's this great prophet, Elijah, who did mighty works. And he's dead and gone. And then, then um, the word of God says this. In chapter 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the, the hearers of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So this is Elijah, John the Baptist. This is Elijah proclaiming the day of the Lord. And he's able to do that right in the presence of the Lord himself, Jesus. And so he's telling them, you know, when you read in that scripture and it said that, this is him who the scriptures were talking about. And what he's saying is, and guess what? I am Jesus. That's what he's saying to them. And that's what's so great about the message. It's, it's about the one they're talking about. It's about Jesus. But to what shall I compare this generation? Offense number two, not only the deeds of Jesus, but offense number two is the, critic, the critique of Jesus. It's the critique of Jesus. You see, we don't like Jesus to critique us, but the more it becomes sweet and we say, man, when, when, you, when you like critique me and cleanse me and, and, I, and I am walking obediently to you, it is sweet. And I want that. The more sweet it becomes, the more you are just walking in step with Jesus. But he has this intense critique of the generation. Although I wonder what he would say about ours. But the next offense is this. He, he, it's, it's the critique. He says, but, what, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not, uh, you did not mourn. Uh, what Jesus is simply saying is that they are childish. Children have a really hard time with expectation. Do you, do you know this? I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life. When you're a parent, you definitely will know it very uh, intimately. Uh, and as we grow and mature, typically what happens is we're not supposed to act like a two-year-old anymore. Now, I don't know if you've experienced it, but sometimes there could be a 44-year-old person that can act like a two-year-old as well. Am I right? Like, like it doesn't, like that ha But Jesus is saying to them that you are very, very childish because you don't get your way and you don't like it even when the Son of God is standing before you. That's what Jesus is saying. That you don't like it. And they don't like that critique. And there is more to come with that critique because tied to that critique is a judgment. For John came neither eating nor drinking. He's pointing out, hey, look, this guy came out very religiously. Not eating, not drinking, didn't touch alcohol. Um, and then he said, and then he has, and then you said, and they say he has a demon. So this guy comes out aesthetically really pure, and you say he has a demon. And then Jesus goes on to say this. The Son of Man came out eating and drinking, and they say, look, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, a friend of bad company. Man, a drunkard, uh, a glutton, he's hanging out with bad people and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. 
Wisdom is always a reference to who Jesus is and, and what it means to know God. That's what you get when you're reading the Proverbs. Know God. This is what wisdom is, fearing the Lord. And the deeds are the proof of that wisdom. And I wonder how Jesus would critique um, our culture, our church culture, the church culture in our city, the church culture in our nation, the church culture in, uh, globally and throughout history. What will they say about us? What would other churches say about us 100 years from now? I mean, I don't know. What would they say? Would they say, man, you know what? They seemed really godly, but they spent a lot of time in technology, and they really didn't talk to each other much. They didn't really know how to do that anymore. I mean, I don't know. Are they going to say that? They didn't read books. They, they just, you know, and, and Jesus goes on to, to, uh, to critique them and actually ca cast a, a judgment, pronounce a judgment on these different cities. Now, listen to what he says. It's, it's intensely harsh. It's intensely critical, not a critical spirit. It's actually, it's accurate, it's true, it's an intense warning. In verse 20, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his, look at that, mighty works had been done because they did not, what? They did not repent. Woe to you, Cherozone. Woe to you, Basida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, by the way, those places were known by them. It would have been like saying, um, like if you lived in Idaho, it'd be like saying, yeah, like, like that place in California. No, that's offensive to us. I get it because like, we don't do anything wrong. We're Californians. But the, I don't know if you know this. If you visit different states, I was in Washington this summer and they have this um, um, fair, unfair view of California. It's like, oh my goodness, California is like, and I'm like, I know, am I right? <laughs> I'm from there, dude. You don't, shouldn't say that. It's not, not nice. But it would be like us saying, like, oh, yeah, like Las Vegas, except way worse. So, so those places, Tyre and Sidon, you know, in the minds of these people would be like, whoa, those are the people that were super addicted to the Baal worship, super wicked, evil stuff. They knew exactly who they were. And then Jesus says, hey, you, look. For, so, for the, if the mighty works done in you had been done for those people, they would have repented. But you didn't. Uh, and they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and in ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. It really shows you an interesting thing into truth of Scripture, too, that there's, there's actually kind of layers, I mean, of a offense to God and the judgment that comes with that, it'll be more bearable for them than for you. Uh, and then he goes on to say, and you, Capernaum, is another city, will you be uh, exalted to heaven? They probably thought so. You will be brought down to Hades. You will be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, by the way, Jesus is referring to all of the lepers being cleansed and the deaf hearing and dead people being raised and these amazing miraculous signs in the toxic unbelief that has come with them you will be brought down to hades for if the mighty works done in you have been done in sodom it would have been it would have remained until this day the the place of sodom when you read in the old testament was judged uh catastrophically fire brimstone comes down rains down from God and just wipes out a, a complete city. And Jesus says, with them very well aware of that city, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. That's what Jesus says. And he says this, 
when he says at the very beginning, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And then cursed is the one who is. And it'll be more tolerable for some of these wicked cities that you have in your mind than for you, for them. There is no room to deny Jesus. We must plead with people. I plead with you, brothers and sisters here today, and myself. If you have thought Jesus is not enough, Jesus will not satisfy you, you are wrong. Jesus is satisfying. Blessed, is those who, blessed are those who are not offended by him. Are you offended at Jesus? Are you offended at his amazing deeds? Are you offended at his critique of your life and your heart and your failures and our, my failures? Because the truth of the matter is that I have failed. We have failed. We do sin. And Jesus is very much aware of it, and he knows it. But the good news is this, that blessed is the one who is not offended by him. You have salvation and grace and forgiveness, and you are cleansed, and you can stand before a holy God because, because you have Jesus standing before you who took care of all that sin and weak, wickedness that we had done. So not only are people offended by these things and the judgment, but also here is another offense. It's the actual yoke itself. And once again, I'm not a, I'm not a farmer, but I've seen a yoke before, and it's not an egg thing that comes out yellow from your whatever, the egg, you know, egg yolk. I don't even know. How, uh, but, but the yoke is this device that would go on a working animal, and it helps you, you know, drag stuff, or it even helps you yoke it or connect it to another animal so they can do work together. And it's heavy. It's big. It's, it's actually burdensome. It's, it's, I don't know if you've seen these things. Like, they're, they're, they're big and heavy. Um, Jesus says this. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. So fascinating that Jesus starts with this. Before he goes on to talk about his burden being light, he starts out with his pleasure and his, his dialogue with the Father. He says, uh, um, Father, Lord of heaven, uh, of earth, that I, I, I am glad that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, right, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. When he says little children, he's not talking about little babies. He's talking about us. He's talking about those that embrace Jesus. He refers to us as little children because you must come to him like a child. You must come and trust him and believe him and follow him. And the, Jesus is thanking the Father that he has, re, he has hidden that from the arrogant and the wise. Do you understand the implications of that? Here's one of the big implications. That you and I are not wise, but we have come to Jesus merely because he has come to us first. This is the amazing work of God's grace. We have nothing to stand on, no goodness, no merit, no, like none of that. We are not going to, if you, you could just work your whole life and God will be pleased to me. No way. This is about Jesus revealing himself to you because he chooses to. And he, re, and he doesn't disclose that to all. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will in 26. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him is what the Word of God says. This is mind-blowing. 
this puts us on our face and on our knees and causes tears, and we say, God, thank you for your grace on me, an undeserving sinner. But then he, tur- he says this. He talks about how light his burden, and yet, look, the yoke is offensive to those that do not receive him, but for those that receive him because he has revealed himself to you, it is a delight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Come, all of us, all of you, all of us who have tried to labor and earn favor with God in some way, and if I just give enough, if I just serve enough, if I'm just in enough Bible studies, if I just, if I could just stop doing this thing I keep doing, and, and you should, you should turn from sin, but then God will accept me, and dude, that is not what the Bible says, man. God accepts you because Jesus has revealed himself to you and changed our hearts. Not because you change or me change my heart. It's because he does so. And therefore his burden is light. Let's pray.